the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also, you can get the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Just go to Apple Podcast and uh, download it there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Hope your weekend's going well. Have a good program for you today. Interesting top stories. A lot going on with the Federal Reserve this week. And also joining me in just a little bit, Mr. Alex Brill. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, we're going to be talking, and by the way, he, uh, he studies the impact of tax policy uh, on the U.S. economy, uh, as well as other fiscal and economic issues. We're going to be talking um, about a variety of things. One in particular is charitable giving. Uh, wrote a really good piece on that, and I wanted to talk to him about it, um, the impact, the benefits, things of that nature. So that's all right around the corner. Um Top stories this week, one of them for sure, Elon Musk took a 9.2% stake in Twitter, according to a regulatory filing. Um, he bought, um, it was about 73.5 million shares of Twitter. He did it in the middle of March, according to a Securities and Exchange Commission filing that came out at the beginning of the week. Um, I mean, this is just shy when he put the money in of $2.9 billion. Of course, the, the shares uh, of Twitter uh, soared on that news, which they needed to because they were in the ditch uh, this past year. Um, so, you know, Musk, he tweets regularly on the Twitter platform. He has over 80 million followers there. And also, I think the good news is that he's a big free speech guy. Um, I'm not an Elon Musk fan, but I do respect uh, his free speech, um, you know, that I've experienced and watched from afar in the past. I mean, he, it wasn't too long ago on Twitter, he was saying that the, administ the administration needs to utilize our energy resources here in the United States to help people uh, with these inflationary um, pressures that they're under. Um, and this is from a guy who made, you know, the bulk of his money from electric vehicles, you know, battery-powered vehicles. So I thought that, number one, obviously that's an honest comment uh, and statement to make. And number two, from, you know, coming from an electric vehicles guy, I thought it was, it was impressive. So we'll see um, what happens with Twitter going forward. As far as uh, free speech, you know, the stupid censorship that Twitter, um, their policies, even though Jack Dorsey's gone, it's actually the guy that took over. He's worse than Dorsey. Um, and also I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I did read that Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, get along very well. So we'll have to see what uh, what transpires from that. The one thing I do feel confident in saying, uh, Elon Musk didn't do this for money. The guy's worth over $200 billion. He's number one now uh, on the billionaire list. He passed Jeff Bezos, the uh, founder, co-founder, I guess with his ex-wife, 
of um, of Amazon. So that's something uh, that, again, I, I I I think could be a positive. As always, we'll have to wait and see. Hey, good news coming from Walmart this week uh, for perspective um, uh, employees out there. They're driving up their pay for their truckers. So there was a blog post that uh, Walmart had on Thursday. And by the way, just a reminder, Walmart is the largest retailer. So they're increasing their starting salaries for their freight drivers to between 95000 and 110000 per year. That's up from an average of 87500 That's a nice increase. So the blog noted that drivers who have been with Walmart longer can earn even more money also. This is uh, based on factors like their tenure and location. So this push comes as supply chain problems further exacerbate an already troubled trucking industry. Uh, Apparently, uh, or at least according to the American Trucking Association, they estimate the nation is short about 80,000 drivers. So Walmart hired 7,000 drivers for their internal fleet during the past two years. Last year alone, they hired 4,500 new drivers. That's the most in the company's history. Um, It sounds pretty good. I mean, they launched a private fleet development program. This is a 12-week program taught by established Walmart truckers to train new drivers. Now, I don't know what kind of reputation Walmart truckers have. I know some of the others out there aren't so good, like Amazon. Um, and others. But, you know, 12-week program, if it's coming from intelligent uh, trainers, this could really be good. That means these jobs that are available for really good money for gray and blue-collar type people who um, enjoy that type of work, it's necessary, of course. Everything you have was brought to you by a trucker. We always have to remember that. Um, so, and then the safety part is huge. You know, when you're driving one of those uh, tractor trailers down the road, if you're not good at it, if you're not safe, it's, um, you know, it, it's something that is extremely dangerous. So I thought that this was very good news coming from Walmart, and I hope that uh, everything works out well for them. We heard from uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. He had his annual shareholder uh, letter that went out this week, and um, it's it's really well read. You know, a lot of people follow this. Um, and he was talking about the risk ahead uh, that the, uh, the, the economy faces for this year. So he was talking about the economy being in good health, but um, he also said that uh, the Russian war in Ukraine could collide with high sky inflation and the hawkish Federal Reserve, meaning the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and um, slowing down their spending, actually unraveling that. Um, and that that could reshape the world for years to come. So it wasn't a very rosy letter. Um, and uh, like I said, it's followed very closely. 
and it's a massive change from where he was last year in his shareholder uh, letter. So uh, I did see that this week. Uh, again, talking about Russia, Ukraine, just have to pray for, you know, those Ukrainians. It's just um, it just looks like scorched earth. I mean, just total destruction. And you have to wonder why, uh, especially when it's on the civilian population, not even the military. But um, we also heard from Shell Energy this week. They talked about taking a hit of four to five billion dollars because they've reduced the value of Russian assets. Um, and that's obviously going to have a negative impact on their bottom line. And I have to give Shell credit. Uh, they came out and said that they're appalled by the invasion of Ukraine. And uh, they announced plans to exit the this joint venture they have with uh, the Russian state, state-owned energy company known as Gazprom. Um, so I do give them credit for that. Uh, that's hard to do. And again, we're going to have to wait and see how that impacts their stock price and what their shareholders think of that. So, um, a lot going on with various companies, uh, some directly associated and impacted with Russia, uh, that are walking away like shell. Uh, I mean, McDonald's, you know, they said that they were closing their doors over there. So, um, that's, I think, less than 10% of their business per year. But still, you're going to see some of these companies that are being uh, publicly traded companies that are, where people have stock ownership uh, that are going to be impacted uh, by the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Also, I saw this week, I'm not, as you know, if you've been listening to the program uh whether you're well, let me just say it like this. If you've been listening, you know I'm not a big poll person. However, um I did see a poll from CNBC Momentiv um that a significant number of Americans are concerned about rising prices and they're worried about the country sinking into a recession this year. So eighty one percent of adults uh expect recession to set in this year according to that uh that poll. So uh, with regard to inflation, 76% of adults say they are worried about being forced to rethink financial choices due to higher prices. So roughly half of the adults uh, also in this poll think about rising prices all the time, while 44% said that they occasionally or sometimes are worried about these rising prices. Um, this is tough for people. Uh, you know, obviously the whole, it, this is transitory, don't worry about it. Uh, the jokes that the administration made that your hot dog isn't going to cost as much for 4th of July. Um, all of that obviously proved just what novices they are. Um, and the transitory uh, term coming from the Federal Reserve was just try to make you feel stupid or confuse you. Uh, which obviously they're the stupid ones because they let inflation just rage and get away from them. Um, so uh, and now they're trying to play catch up and they can't. It's going to be a total mess. It'll be a dumpster fire watching the Federal Reserve try to tame inflation. Um, and, and something else we saw, you know, just with 
the Fed raising rates a little bit at their March 14th, 15th meeting. Um, we also saw after falling to historic lows last year, mortgage rates are really on the rise. They were up uh, over 5% last week for the first time in over a decade. So we're starting to see the impact of the Federal Reserve, um, which, by the way, I hope you had a chance to listen to the interview that I had with Christopher Leonard last weekend. Um, Really interesting book called uh, The Lords of Money that he wrote about the Federal Reserve. If you missed the program, I would encourage you to, again, go to the audio vault at WFMD.com or just go to uh, Apple uh, Podcast and listen to it uh, there. Uh, Really interesting with uh, the pickle, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, at least one I can use on air, um, that the Federal Reserve has got itself into, which, of course, puts us right into it as well. So um, that's something that uh, um, that we're going to watch. We're going to watch very closely going forward, just like we always have. Quick break. Uh, will the Biden presidency influence stock markets? A look at parties, politics and potential returns. That's the uh, complimentary download, instant download for you. On the homepage, just go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right there on the homepage. As I said, you just click on Get My Copy. Uh, it's complimentary. goes right to your email, and um, I hope you enjoy it and benefit from it. And uh, we'll see you in a minute. Lately, I've been wondering what's been going on. I've been here before, but I don't remember when And every time we get to it Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And of course, as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can listen to the Your Financial Editor program. Uh, we'll pick on the Federal Reserve a little bit more. I did was talking about them right before uh, that uh, break. And, um, you know, what we saw this week were minutes from the last Federal Reserve meeting. I mentioned it was the middle of uh, March And um, in the minutes, they were just signaling that they could raise interest rates by a half of a point as opposed to a quarter going forward. So in in March, we saw that uh, 0.25% increase. Uh, But obviously, like I said, the Fed's so far behind on inflation. So they were uh, telegraphing, hey, we're going to raise rates a half of a percent instead of a quarter. And we're also going to start to um, reduce that massive balance sheet of $95 billion per month. So the total balance right now is just under $9 trillion. Okay. Um, And they're going to start unwinding that and selling it back into the market at a pace of $95 billion a month starting next month. So um, we'll wait and see how this all works out for them. 
raising interest rates and unwinding their balance sheet. It's going to be painful. Um, the Federal Reserve is famous for asset bubbles, creating problems, and then messing things up even worse when they try to fix their mess ups. So, uh, but we're hearing from all of these uh, Federal Reserve banks and officials, uh, the Federal Reserve Governor, Law Brainerd, uh, called the task of reducing inflation pressures paramount. All of a sudden, right? It's paramount. Uh, it's really important. We should have done this, and then you fill in the, the blank there. It should have been 10 months ago. You know, but instead they were saying, no, it's transitory. Don't worry. Inflation's not going to stay here. You know, it'll be gone. Transitory, by the way, when you look it up in the dictionary, um, is temporary. And, you know, when you have this issue for over a year, it's not temporary. So, um, but uh, Brainerd, who, by the way, was hoping that um, Hillary Clinton was going to win back in 2016 because word was she would have been the next uh, Federal Reserve chair. And she just lost it again because instead of her getting the nod from Biden, um, Jerome Powell looks like he, you know, he's going to be the man going forward. So um, but now you've got her and these others. I know, um, well, to her credit. Esther George, the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas uh, city president, um, she was also saying that raising interest rates by a half of a percentage point in May will be an option. We know that it's always an option, but she's been a little more ahead of this than most of the members. Her and Bullard, um, James Bullard, have been pretty good about saying, you know, we need to do something about, to combat this inflation because it is a problem. Um, whereas a lot of the others uh, have been just the opposite, you know, sticking their head in the sand, acting like it wasn't a big deal. And, um, you know, adding to the balance sheet, like I said, just under $9 trillion is where it sits right now. So now they have to unravel that. And also raise interest rates to try to get inflation uh, down. And anybody that's getting excited about uh, gas prices going down a little bit, be careful. Because what that means is you're, you've become conditioned and accepting of higher energy prices. And that's not what we want to, to, to happen, Right. So back during the Obama administration, they kept saying, look, we can't get the GDP number up, gross domestic product, economic growth. We can't get it up. It's going to be under 2% going forward. That's the new normal, as they would say. So they were trying to condition you and lower your expectations, as I've said for decades. Don't let them do that. I mean, we've proved how well the American economy can work even though it's massive. And that's a hard thing. You know, when you have a, uh, a, an economy the size of ours, it's difficult to get everything firing on all cylinders, but it's possible. We saw that. You cut taxes, you cut regulation, you cut red tape, and you let the capital markets and businesses work and grow 
in an organic matter, a natural matter, not stimulus, not paying people not to work, not paying people to call a certain illness, a certain illness because it's going to get them more money based on the legislation that was paid, right, to health care providers, et cetera. That doesn't work. We saw that um, the other way of doing things works very, very well. And like I said, it's organic. It's natural. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's what the country was founded on. Um, And we really need to get back to that for sure because that's our our best uh, hope going forward, no doubt about it. Um, is less government, less regulation, lower taxes, right? And you make the decisions that are best for you and your family as opposed to somebody who really doesn't know one thing from the other. Um, Quick break, get some news in here for you. Uh, Then we'll talk with uh, my guest, Mr. Alex Brill, about charity the importance of it, the impact of it, um, the best way to do it. So, uh, And also go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, the complimentary uh, white paper, Will the Biden Presidency Influence Stock Markets? A look at parties, politics, and potential returns. That's all right there for you. And uh, you just go to murrayfinancialgroup.com, click it on the homepage. It goes right to your email. A country boy learns in life how to shoot a gun and how to use a knife. But when I pull into Hershey, PA, it's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcast and you can uh, listen to the program or share it. Um, again, last weekend, uh, that was a, a good interview. Christopher Leonard, uh, the author, he's a business journalist. Uh, he, uh, his latest book is The uh, Lords of Money about the Federal Reserve. That was really interesting. So uh, if you want to check that out, you can go to uh, the Audio Vault or go to uh, Apple Podcast and just search your financial editor and uh, that and all the other um, interviews and information will come up for you. Joining me this morning, Mr. Alex Brill. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute where he studies the impact of tax policy on the U.S. economy, as well as the fiscal, economic, and political consequences of uh, really important issues, uh, whether it's health care, retirement security, uh, security, trade policies, etc. Um, he got his undergrad in economics from Tufts and his master's in mathematical finance from Boston University. Good morning, Alex. How are you? 
I'm good, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on the uh, show. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to come on and talk with us. We appreciate it. So I guess, you know, I mean, you, you really cover a lot of stuff at uh, American Enterprise Institute. Let's just start with... Um, like, you know, how do you feel about the U.S. economy right now because of all the things that we're dealing with? Is, you know, just how healthy is it or unhealthy? Sure. Um, so in, uh, in there's lots of different ways to measure how the economy is doing, of course. Um, we think about that from the labor market. We think about it in terms of, of output and gross domestic product. And we um, increasingly are, are required to think about the state of the economy with respect to the changes in prices, the, the rise in inflation. And so with respect um, to the labor market, um, we are see a, a strong economy. Um, we have tons of job openings. We have a lot of people who are, who are a lot of employers who are struggling to find workers. Um, it's, it's good to be a worker. Um, uh, wages have increased. Um, uh, flexi- there's increased flexibility for a lot of workers as we're kind of coming back out of the pandemic um, and um, an output in the economy is also very strong. Uh, you know, it varies quarter to quarter, but the um, economy is, is, is rebounding um, from, from the depths of, of the pandemic. Um, and then uh, those are, so those are two good things. And then uh, on the flip side um, is we're seeing the consequences of the constraints uh, in the, in the U S economy um, Many consumers are flush with cash uh, as a result of, of their precautionary savings during the pandemic, as a result of large amounts of transfers from the federal government to individuals and these impact um, benefit payments that they received. Um, and uh, more dollars are chasing fewer goods, and that's the formula for rising prices. And we've seen um, inflation, um, you know, in a, in a number of categories and obviously overall as well. And that's eating into people's um, uh, disposable income and their ability uh, to, to make purchases. And so the, the rising wages that we saw um, a few quarters ago are being eroded by, by rising prices. And not only is that a, you know, a concern sort of at the moment and, and looking backwards over the last few months as pur- purchasing power has been eroded, but there's a fair amount of uncertainty and concern uh, looking forward. Um, you know, is this when, when will we see this uh, r- price inflation um, start to, to tamp down and start to return back to to a more tolerable and normal level? And, and I don't know the answer to that, but I, I suspect that we're in for um, a period of, of inflation that's much longer than we want. Um, I'm not a monetary policy expert, but, but obviously um, I think it's fair to say that the, the Fed was slow to recognize um, this change in the market, and they're, they're playing catch-up trying to raise interest rates to, to, to tamp down um, on price inflation overall. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. You know, we talked about this over a year ago uh, multiple times that the, uh, the use of the word transitory was uh, – it was just it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, and the jokes about your hot dog was going to be cheaper for your Fourth of July picnic didn't really, <laughs> you know, didn't settle uh, very well with a lot of people. And now they're waking up every literally every day and having to contend with the energy prices when they do uh, fill up their vehicle with gas or diesel or when they're standing in the grocery aisle 
or when they're looking at electronics or apparel or whatever it may be. And they, like you said, they, it's, it's, it's easy for them to say, okay, great. You know, I got a 5% raise, but inflation is just shy of uh, 8% and worse in other areas. Uh, This doesn't, help me at all. Actually, it hurts me. So, and then back to your, uh, I guess I just wanted to get a, a follow-up on the, um, on the labor department, uh, labor issue. Like you said, there's what, like 11, over 11 million job openings, uh, that are still out there, even though we got good news for, um, the unemployment uh, picture this mm-hmm. this week, as far as initial jobless claims being very low a week ago, um, like you said, these these employers can't find these workers, and they also can't find the skilled workers that they need. So, in your research and in the folks you talk to, uh, do you see that getting any better by say the end of the year? Um, I. Th- you know, I think that uh, similar to to your comments about inflation and it not being transitory, I think that these labor market issues are going to resolve themselves eventually. Um, uh, and I think that it it may take some time. Will it be uh, eight months from now? It, it could be. You know, it could it could start to be then. But I think that that generally speaking, I think we should think of this as a medium term problem, not a, just a near term problem. Um, people who um, took an early retirement in the pandemic. You know, they don't want to go back. A lot, you know, a lot of these people, you know, so we have a very low unemployment rate. The unemployment rate is, was 3.6% um, in March. Um, that's fantastic. It seems like everyone has a job, except for the people who have removed themselves from the labor market. Um, and they did that, you know, at their own choice. And so maybe they uh, they moved away during the pandemic to some other more comfortable place, and, they, and they're just going to stay where they are. Um, and they, that may change eventually, but the older workers who left the workforce, um, and that's a, about half, I think, of the of the decline in the labor market participation, labor force participation rate. I don't think those people are coming back, and so we're going to be waiting to replace them, not not to draw them back in. We're going to be waiting for college graduates and high school graduates. Um, the other side is, you know, obviously we have pretty low immigration. Uh, levels at the moment, and we have for some time. So that has also been historically a source of, of new labor, and we're having less new labor uh, through through immigration, and that's also constraining this. So I think that the, the, the labor shortage problem, it, it varies industry by industry, but I think it will be with us um, for some time. Uh, talking with my guest this morning, Mr. Alex Brill. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. That's where he studies the impact of tax policy on the U.S. economy, as well as uh, other issues uh, and the consequences, whether it's taxes, the budget, health care, retirement security, trade policies, etc. Um, and you can go to um, a ei.org. I have that right, don't I, Alex? Yes, you do. Yeah. So go to aei.org and you can uh, uh, learn more about Alex and his colleagues at the American Enterprise Institute and the work that they do. Like I always point out, um, you know, a lot of really good, accurate, free information for you on that website where you can become educated and uh, obviously get uh, different and more in-depth views uh, when it comes to some of these extremely important issues. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, 
We'll continue our conversation with Alex Brill. Uh, He co-wrote a piece called Charitable Giving is Good. Be smart about how to encourage it. Um, So, you know, this is something I think is very, very important, and we want to make sure we get uh, some input on that this morning. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, you can go to Apple Podcast and get the program as a podcast. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Appreciate it. Uh, Wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Alex Brill. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, um, and uh, he got his undergrad in economics from Tufts, and then he got his uh, master's in mathematical finance from Boston University. And, you know, Alex, it begs the question, were you there when AOC was? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. I, I was not. Or at least, you, at least we didn't have any classes together. <laughs> yeah. Well, listening to you, you do a lot better with what you learned at uh, BU than what she did, for sure. I just have to get that in there. Okay. So you uh, co-wrote this piece. Uh, Charitable giving is good. Be smart about how to encourage it. You know, our listeners are very good-hearted um, people. And I know that uh, they're uh, giving with the dollars, their hard-earned money. Um, so just give us an overview about the importance of uh, this article and the subject matter. Sure. So, you know, charitable giving is, is a critical part of our society. It's an important part of our economy. Um, the amount of charitable giving is in the order of magnitude of $300 billion a year. Um, it's, it's more than that, in fact. Uh, in in 2020, um, and and it's a bit unique um, to our society, to our culture. So, um, not to say that people aren't charitable in other countries. Of course, they are. But the amount of giving um, in the United States um, distinguishes us from many of our our, our trading partners in other countries and and uh, citizens in in other countries. We take this very seriously. I think from a cultural and societal perspective. Um, and it involves both um, those who have great wealth, um, giving away much or all of their wealth sometimes. Um, and it also involves people of more modest means um, regularly uh, giving smaller dollar contributions um, uh, into their own communities um, or, or to other organizations that they, um, that they value. And, um, and those services that are provided by by the nonprofit community are in many respects um, a substitute for government. And in my, my, my opinion, my view is that that's a really good thing, um, that we are able to organize ourselves locally, um, support a food bank um, or a church or a synagogue um, or a hospital or a university or any of these organizations that we, that we give to, um, and they're able to, to help us and, and help our neighbors and help our community. Um, in addition to the 
the important stories about the very large gifts and the the real um, significant philanthropy that that happens sort of at the other end of the at the extremes of the income distribution. Also, of course, enormously um, uh, important, and that's in fact where a lot of the dollars come from. So it's important to think about you know the individual engagement of everybody in their communities through charitable giving, as well as sort of the aggregate amount of giving. And as people probably know that the, the tax code um, plays a role in this. And, and I'm a tax guy, and I think a lot about tax policy and how it affects our economy. And, um, you know, and the way it does is people can, can itemize their deductions, and they can take as a deduction their charitable giving. Um, one of the things that happened in tax reform in 2017, it was a simplification of the tax code and a tax cut for many households, which is that that standard deduction almost doubled, became very large. And 27 million people switched, taxpayers switched from itemizing the deductions every year and then therefore receiving an incentive and a tax break for giving to taking that standard deduction. That might have been good for their for the bottom line of their tax bill, but it removed the incentive to give. Now, people don't only give for the tax break. They give because it's the right thing to do. Um, but the incentive makes them give more and increases the likelihood that they'll give. And, and we, we know that empirically from the research. Um, and so my, my interest, uh, I've done a lot of work on that policy, that change in the standard deduction and the unintended consequence it would have on giving. And the answer is that it, it reduced giving. Um, it reduced giving um, a bit. Um, and, and, and that's, I think, a, of a, a concern. It dropped giving in the order of magnitude by about $15 billion, I estimated. That's the sort of the history and the background over the last couple of years. The piece that uh, that you referenced that I uh, wrote a week or two ago looks at a more recent policy. And the recent policy is during the pandemic, Congress, um, in an effort to encourage charitable giving, said that anyone who files a tax return, regardless of whether they itemize their taxes, can claim $300 if they're an individual or up to $600 if they're a married couple on their tax return. And this is an, this is an issue that was in the, is a law that was in effect in 2011. We're all working on our tax returns right now. And this is we have the opportunity, even if you're taking the standard deduction, to claim that deduction if you've given three or $600. And there's a debate now about whether we should extend that policy. And my feeling is that we should not. And the reason is, is because I think that everyone's going to claim it in essence, regardless of whether or not they're giving, and if they did give, um, you know, in other words, they're going to they're going to gamble on the risk of being audited. Um, but but more importantly, I think a lot of people are giving it that um, that amount of money. And what the public policy should be de- designed to do is encourage is not to reward them for their 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 good behavior that they were already going to engage in, but to encourage them to do more. And so this almost limits – it doesn't disincentivize additional giving, but it's a cap. Because there's a cap at $600 per couple, it does nothing on the margin to encourage people to give beyond that. And that's that's my concern with that policy. Yeah, and I think that's a valid concern uh, for sure. We're talking with my guest this morning, Mr. Alex Brill, is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. If you're interested in the uh, piece that he wrote that he just referenced, charitable giving is good, be smart about how to encourage it, or his other uh, work, you can go to AEI dot org uh that's uh, the american enterprise institute website and uh it's uh alex brill 
B-R-I-L-L, and you can look that up. Um, So like you said, it was a lot of money uh, that we saw in 2020. Charitable giving, uh, you write, was up to uh, $324 billion, a record high, and a 2.2% increase from where it was the year before. Um, and I also like that you pointed out that, you know, there are a lot of people that don't do it for the tax break. They do it because um, they want to affect change. You know, they want to be part of uh, a good thing. Um, and I, I also appreciate, like you're saying, that uh, we're known, Americans are known for that. And I think some of the concern is some of that's been taken away, you know, by government. And a lot of people are saying to themselves, well, I already pay so much in taxes. Let somebody, mm-hmm. you know, use my tax dollars, let somebody else do it. But that's not really the backbone of the country and, and you know, the way we've come through the years. That's exactly right. And, and there's a role for government and there's a, there's, you know, there's a need for tax policy and we need to raise revenue. We need to pay for things. I'm not saying, not, I'm not taking that you know, extreme view that we shouldn't have government services. But so often we're going to get the better services in the community if it's the community that is, con- that is designing and controlling those programs. And, and, and in our local communities, you know, with our own tax dollars, with our own, uh, our own tax dollars, our own income, our own dollars um, that we're giving, we're giving them to the places that we see and need and know are in need. And we know those things, you know, locally better than, than, the, than the, oftentimes than the government does. And so that involvement in our community is so important. One way, obviously, is by giving money. Another way is by giving time. Those, that's also really valuable and important, um, but and we want to want to nurture um, that that attitude um, among our society, among those in our society. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, everyone pretty much would agree with uh, with those statements. And I guess you know, is there? There's probably not. But is there any way to measure the private sector success when it comes to charity versus the government's? Um, kind of their actions? I wish there was. I mean, that's the, that's the critical question. I mean, that we should be able to test these hypotheses that, you know, that these, that these local organizations are, 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 are good or better. And, of course, there's, you know, there's benefits of economy of scale. Some of the best charities um, in, in our society are very large, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be only food banks um, at the local level that are doing good. We have large very large um, research institutions that are that are relying on private dollars that are doing incredibly important work, and so it's not always just a matter of, of small and local is better, um, but there's an independence and there's a flexibility and there's an accountability that comes with private charities, you know, private nonprofit organizations that answer um, to the demands of their and the needs of their market and their community. Um, that can be different and better, in my view, than the bureaucracy that comes with with receiving a, a stream of payments from from the government, with, with sometimes with limited accountability. Yeah, for sure. Again, I agree with that. Um, our guest this morning has been Mr. Alex Brill, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And um, he's got a lot of good material, as does the uh, Institute overall. Go to A 
EI.org. That's the American Enterprise Institute. You'll get a bunch of information. As I mentioned a couple moments ago, it's free. Um, and um, you, you can really learn about uh, just a, a whole array of, uh, of issues um, if you're so inclined to do so. Alex, thanks a lot for taking time out of your schedule to uh, join us. I enjoyed uh, talking with you. Thanks very much for having me on. Nice to talk to you, Okay, too. great. Have a great weekend, and uh, that does it for us, folks. We uh, um, are up against the clock. A little bit of Alex's um, conversation got cut off. I don't know what that was, but, um, again, the the article and the, the gist of what uh, our conversation was about um, had to do with uh, the overall economy here in America, also, the importance and uh, kind of some of the backstage look at uh, charitable giving. And um, you can go to American Enterprise Institute to their website, AEI.org, and get more information um, on the work that they do. Uh, it's, over the years, we've had uh, quite a few uh, of the uh, fellows from uh, American Enterprise Institute. They do some good work there for sure. And um, as I mentioned, that's going to do it for us. Uh, talk with you on the Morning News Express when we do our live weekday updates with uh, Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick. Uh, I talk to those guys at 5.50, 6.50, and 7.50 a.m. on weekday mornings. And uh, also, of course, we'll be back here next uh Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. Um, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. On the webpage there, uh, the, the, the homepage, I should say, um, is our latest white paper, Will the Biden Presidency Influence Stock Markets? A look at parties, politics, and potential returns. That's all right there for you. A complimentary download to your email And uh, we will talk with you soon. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock